prayer for the victims of Hurricane Harvey and those in South Texas who have suffered so. And so we want to join with churches all across our nation today. And let's just, would you join me as we bow in a time of prayer and pray on behalf of those people. Father in heaven, our hearts go out to the people of South Texas. And so we know that we have only a small portion of the compassion that you have. You're the God of all comfort and the God of compassion, the Bible says. So Lord, we know you, your heart goes out to those people as well. And Lord, we just want to pray on their behalf that you will show grace and mercy and help to the people who have lost homes and possessions and sometimes even family members. We pray that your spirit would be with them. We pray for uh, government leaders. We pray for first responders. We pray for the long work of recovering and rebuilding. We pray that, that needs will be met materially and financially. And Lord, we are grateful that in this world, everything we have is transitory, but you have given us things that floodwaters cannot touch. And we celebrate those things today. We celebrate that we have life in you and a home in heaven and that we have joy and peace even in the midst of troubles. You say, though we walk through the waters, they will not overwhelm you for I will be with you. We claim that promise for the people of South Texas. We pray they'll look to you and find you and that you'll give them strength. And we pray on their behalf. We pray for us too as we worship here. May we realize we are needy in need of you today. May we lift up your name and give you thanks. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen. We sing glory to God forever. Before the world was made, before you spoke it to me, you were the King of kings. Yeah, you were, yeah, you were. But now we're reigning still, enthroned above all things. Angels and saints cry out, we join you as we sing glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Matchless name, all my days, all my days. So let my whole life be a blazing offering, a life that shouts and sings the greatness of our King. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Glory to God. Glory to God, glory to God forever. Take my life and let it be all for you and for. 
debt, my debt is paid. There's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. Love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love. And here we go, and on and on it goes, singing. And on and on and on and on it goes. For it overwhelms, it satisfies my soul. This one thing oh, oh, remains. Your love never fails. Oh, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love. more time in death and in death in life I'm confident in covered by the power of your great love I love this part my death is pain there's nothing that can separate my heart from your great forever he is lifted high forever he is risen forever he is alive and because he is alive we can have hope for tomorrow this is a great new song y'all sing it with us stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him final breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of God was laid in darkness a battle in the grave the war on death was raged the 
power of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake, the stones rolled away. His perfect love could not be overcome. Now, death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you Amen. Sing it out, church. Forever he is glorified. Forever he is lifted high. Forever he is risen. He is alive. He is alive. Sing it again. Here we go. Amen. Now death. Now death is your sting. Your before you this morning just celebrating the fact that you are alive and well. You are seated at the right hand of God the Father and because you are alive, we have hope for the future. Because you are alive, we can know that we can live forever in your presence. Because you are alive, we have forgiveness for sins. Because you are alive, we can love each other. Oh Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I pray right now that, well, first of all, I pray that our worship has brought a smile to your face, that it's blessed you, Lord. But, Lord, if it's not asking too much, I pray that you will bless us with your words this morning. As you bring your message to our hearts, may it bless our lives and change us into the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. I'm sharing a series of sermons from the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah has felt God's call to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If you've been with us during this series, you know, but if not, let me sort of help you catch up. Uh, God allowed his people of Jerusalem to be conquered by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians destroyed the walls around the city of Jerusalem. After 70 years, God allowed the people to return to Jerusalem in his mercy, and they rebuilt the temple, but for 70 years after they returned, a total of 140 years since they had been broken by the Babylonians, 
the walls around the city had not been rebuilt. And Nehemiah hears about this. He's in exile still back in Persia, the capital of Susa. He hears about this and he has a burden from God to do something about this. And uh, that's how we know how God's purpose for us is. Title of this series is how, uh, you know, what uh, does God want me to do with my life? And so he, through the Holy Spirit, he finds his life assignment, his mission, his purpose. He goes and starts to rebuild the walls. Last week, we learned in Nehemiah 4 that he encountered opposition. Whenever you follow Jesus, there's going to be some kind of opposition, both from without and from within. Now, today we come to Nehemiah chapter 5, and Nehemiah has another problem. Uh, And this time he faces an economic crisis in the city of Jerusalem that turns his attention again away from building the walls for a while. Now, here's a lesson right out of the gate for us. And I want to say to this to you who maybe you're trying to follow Christ today and you're having some problems. Let me tell you, Nehemiah was in the center of God's will and he had a bunch of problems. Problems are not an indicator that you're not where you're supposed to be. We sometimes think that's true, right? We sometimes think, oh, God, why would all this be happening to me? I I thought I was on the right track. You may go on a mission trip. And you're gonna, you've never been on a mission trip. You're going to serve God and go on a mission trip. And then you come home and you're, a pipe has burst and water's flooded your house. And you're thinking, what in the world, God? I was trying to serve you. Then why would I have problems? Or I've known a person who told me that they started to tithe. They felt that they ought to honor God with their money. And they started giving the first portion to God every pay period. And it's, when they started to tithe, they lost their job. And you would think, well, God, if I was trying to do what you were saying... Wouldn't you have kept providing a a, a job? I'm saying to you that the first lesson we need to learn from Nehemiah is that kind of thinking is wrong. A lack of problems does not indicate necessarily that you're on the right track, and a bunch of problems does not necessarily indicate you're on the wrong track. Problems are not an accurate measure of the will of God. So you ought to be encouraged. If you've got some problems, and and now here's what is an accurate measure, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So when you're right by the Word of God and you're right by the Spirit of God and you have problems, you don't be discouraged. Nehemiah was right in the middle of God's will and he had a bunch of them. Now, the economic problem that we're going to see today is caused by three factors. Number one, we're going to see that there was heavy taxation by the Persian uh, Empire. Other sources outside the Bible tell us that the Persians taxed as much as 40 to 50% of income during this period. Second, there's a famine going on probably caused by drought. And so there's not a good crop for these agriculture people. And third, Nehemiah's effort to rebuild the wall has taken a lot of manpower away from the harvest. And it's September when this chapter takes place, just about the time uh, that we're in right now. It would have been a harvest time and Nehemiah has had to divert people because of the attacks. They have to stay in the city night and day, we learned in the last chapter. And so these people are in an economic crunch. Let's read about it in Nehemiah 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. 
And so there's some oppression going on by the richer Jews of the common people. There are three groups that cry out. First of all, in verse 2, some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So these are the, the wage earners, and they said, we're not making enough money to buy food. We got big families, and we're hungry. So there's a problem of hunger here. Secondly, verse 3, others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. So these are the landowners that have farms, but they're even suffering because in order to get enough to grow grain, seed crop, and things they need, they're having to mortgage their farms during this famine. And then verse 4, still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. And although we're of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we've had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we're powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So on top of mortgaging their, their property, the tax was so high that to pay the tax, they're having to sell to the richer Jews their children into debt slavery to work out that debt. Verse 6 is Nehemiah's reaction. When I heard this outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I want you to notice something there. If you were with us last week, we learned that these exact same words were used of Sanballat. Sanballat, when he heard about the wall going up, he was very angry. Exact same Hebrew words. That was unrighteous anger. This is righteous anger. Sanballat was angry because his Profit and power were going to be threatened. Nehemiah is angry because people are being oppressed and there is injustice going on. Uh, it's not always wrong to be angry. There's some things that ought to make us angry. It ought to anger us, some of the oppression. We Right now in our country, there is racial bigotry that's just this terrible. We ought to be angered by that. They tell us in our world that sex trafficking is... A huge problem, 20 million people, most of them in developing countries, many of them children, sold into that kind of slavery. That ought to, that ought to anger us. There are some things that shouldn't make us anger, angry and we have righteous concern about. So verse 7, he says, I pondered them in my mind. He didn't take rash action. Then I accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. The Old Testament law in Deuteronomy said that in their normal business dealings with other nations, they could charge interest, but there was a poor Jew, then you were to loan them the food they needed without interest. They were breaking the Old Testament law. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we've bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, verse 9, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? You see, he says the fear of the Lord should cause you to have a, a fear of oppression because God's not pleased with that. To avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, houses, also the interest you're charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Um, Bible scholars really don't know what that means. Was it 1% per month, 12% per year? They're not sure what that means. 
Here's the response of the people. We will give it back, verse 12, and we will not demand anything more from them. We'll do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. So that was a symbolic action in that day. You know, they wore robes. And you'd have a belt around your robe, so you tuck a little of the robe up in your belt, and that makes you a pocket. You know, that's the pockets. So it's like emptying your pockets. He's saying, I'm emptying my pockets, and in the same way, may you be emptied from God if you continue this oppression. Nehemiah is giving courageous leadership, confronting these people in power. And their response was, at the end of this, still in verse 13, at the end of this at this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. It took courageous leadership, and the people recognized their sin, and they repented of this injustice. Verse 14 and following, Nehemiah, as he's writing these memoirs in the first person, he's, he tells, he looks ahead, he was governor for 12 years, and so he looks ahead and shares his economic policy as he summarizes this, writing years later, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. I didn't take the allotment of daily provisions that, was to be, that I was entitled to. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. So he did not tax them. And he says their assistance also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, it's a spiritual issue. Out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. So they didn't take advantage of the situation of desperate sellers who had to pay the tax and, and bought up land at an advantage. They didn't do that. And he ends the chapter in verse 19 with, guess what? What would you think Nehemiah might end with? A prayer! There's always almost a prayer in every chapter in Nehemiah. And it's a Roman candle prayer. It's short. It's abrupt. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I've done for these people. Asking for God's favor for what he has done. Now, how's this portion of God's word apply to us? As we gather around the word of God today, what should we take from this? How should this impact our lives? Well, it says, first of all, that God cares about injustice, oppression, and inequality. If God cares, we need to care. So the first application here is just what Nehemiah confronted those people with to confront our lives. Is there any, is there any injustice that you're a part of, if you have a business, if you have employees under you, if you have clients, if you have customers, are you treating those people fairly, equitably? Is there any of you taking advantage of powerless people, using loopholes, misusing the law in a way that you are a part of anything that God would not approve of? God cares about the business of our daily lives. And if we fear God, it says here, 
then we're to say, God, I don't want to do anything where I abuse any power, where I mistreat any people, where I take advantage of those who don't have the same legal power that I have. God, I, I need to repent of any oppression or injustice in my life. I think as we apply this passage to our lives, it reminds us that also that we must be concerned about the poor and the hungry and issues of poverty. Nehemiah, this wasn't his main thing. He had plenty to do. We can't say we're too busy. We can't say we're doing other things in the kingdom and we don't care about the poor because Nehemiah, his, his mission that God called him to was to build the wall. It wasn't to get involved in this. But when the need arose and presented itself, he couldn't ignore it. He had to deal with that because that was part of God's will for him. And as we ask, what does God want me to do with my life? That's our big question. Then we're learning from Nehemiah 5 that part of his will for my life is that I have a concern for those who are in economic difficulty, those who are poor, those who are hungry. Now, let me... uh, let me anticipate maybe some objections that some of you might have that you, maybe you don't admit, but you're thinking about. And some of you may be thinking, you know, I think there's real poverty and hunger in a lot of developing countries of the world, but you know, a lot of the poverty in the United States and in Coffee County, it's due to laziness. Man, the job market is white hot. You can get a job in Murfreesboro or Manchester and and. A lot of these people, they just don't want to work, and there's an entitlement mentality, and they abuse the system, and, and, and you know what I say to that? I agree with you. I, I say, I, I agree with you on that, that a large part of poverty in our area is by poor choices. It's tied in with a drug culture. It's tied in with sloth and laziness. It's tied in with, um, with families that, that have developed that pattern of dependence. I agree with you. Uh, I have a list in my office that the Scottish Inn has sent to us of a hundred people who are residents of Coffee County that they will not let us put up in a hotel. They will not accept any payment for those people to ever stay in their hotel again because through charity of churches, some of those people have been involved in theft using it as a center of drugs and even prostitution. You want to get a little hard-hearted, you help put somebody in a hotel and then they use it for a prostitution ring. That'll make you a little bit hard-hearted. And I would be honest with you and say that, that we deal with people in our church every day who come for help. And, and you know what happens? Most of our staff members, I've seen this, we've had staff members through the year, most of them come very tender-hearted and then they end up pretty hard-hearted. It's just true. Because we deal with so much deception uh, and abuse of the system on a daily basis. So I'm anticipating your objections, and then I want to say to you, but, but, that does not excuse us from having no concern for people who are poor. Because in spite of the abuse and dependency and, and all of those things, God has a heart for poor people. And there are people who are legitimately that, but for the grace of God, you and I would be in that same situation. And God calls us to to care about those people. So I want to share with you in the remainder of the time, 
I've got another set of slides, and I'm going to share with you 12 things that our church is doing or that you could do through our church, both globally and locally, to try to apply this passage of Scripture and to meet needs in the name of Jesus. These 12 things, I'm going to go through them quickly because I ran out of time in the first service, and that's why you had to stand in the foyer for a few minutes. And I apologize, so I'm really going fast this time. They're on, slide, they're on paper. If you want to pick, if you want to, uh, to, God speaks to you about any one of these. Nobody can do all of these, but God may burden you about one or more of these. And so if he does, then you can pick this up, and they're, they're listed there for you at the Welcome Center in the foyer. These first five things are things that you are doing through our church budget that you are already a part of financially and you might want to be a part of personally as well. We have a ministry center called Oakley Ministry Center in a lower socioeconomic area and we have own property and a trailer and every Monday we have Mondays on C Street where there's a meal provided. Your connection group could sign up at the Welcome Center to do that. There's homework help, there's children's activities, there's a Bible study that Jake leads, and there's food distribution. So we buy food from Second Harvest Food Bank. Uh, about 2,100 pounds a month is distributed, 20 to 25 families. We get uh, from Second Harvest, and we also get from USDA food that we get free. We just pay six cents a pound shipping for. Daniel and Linda Dish lead this ministry, and so about $5,200 from our church budget goes to that. Uh, each year, you're already a part of that. The second thing that we do is through Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan is a ministry sponsored jointly by several area churches. We give about $5,500 per year. I don't know how small that is. If you can't read that, pick up the handout. Uh, $5,500 per year. Uh, and about 30 people from our church volunteer on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday when it is open uh, each week. And it serves about 500 families on average every month or about 1,200 individuals every month come to get groceries uh, from Good Samaritan and other kinds of help. In addition to that, through your church budget, we keep lunch bags here at our church office. We always have food to give people. We may not help people in the way they ask to be helped. We're discerning about that, but we'll almost always give you food if you're hungry. And so Good Samaritan's only open uh, three days a week, and there are travelers that come off the interstate, and so if they've broken down, we have food. One family in our church packs those as sort of their ministry, in our, and you pay for them uh, each year. And then through our church budget, we, we support Shepherd's House. It is the only homeless shelter in Coffee County. It's in Tullahoma. And we contribute 600 a year to that. And you can stay up to two weeks there until you can get on your feet and find a job. You have to be out every day looking for a job. And you can stay there at night for up to two weeks. And then through the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, we voluntarily give 12% of our budget every year. And this covers all of our missions ministry, world missions, all of our missionaries around the world in hundreds of countries, North American missionaries, six seminaries. But part of it also goes to world hunger, that our missionaries have funds available when there is a, 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 a famine in Sudan or Venezuela or a typhoon in Japan and disaster relief. And so Southern Baptists have the third largest disaster relief ministry in the United States behind Red Cross and Salvation Army. And so this morning, there are feeding units in South Texas, Southern Baptist disaster relief units that you have helped sponsor, and they're there feeding thousands of meals. There are tractor trailers that are converted into shower and laundry units. Southern Baptists uh, usually set up in a 
church parking lot, and so if you don't have electricity down there still, um, you can come there and take a hot shower, and you can do your laundry, and those are on site now throughout South Texas, um, ministering because you give 12% of every undesignated gift you give through our offering goes through the cooperative program, and that's just one slice of some of where that money goes. Then we have three extra offerings, in addition to those five things in our church budget, that you have an extra opportunity to give. Our World Missions offering at Christmas, again, it covers all of World Missions, but 15% of it is designated for world hunger. So our missionaries who are funded by this and the cooperative program have these additional funds to, through global Baptist response, wherever there's a, a crisis or, a, or an earthquake or whatever, to minister in the name of Jesus. You gave 27000 to our our world missions offering last year. North American missions offering we receive at Easter time, and that is the same kind of thing within North America. And again, part of that money supports that disaster relief and other kind of compassion ministries, food banks, and those kind of things across the country. And then the third kind of special offering that we take, whenever we observe the Lord's Supper, which is about five times a year, it's our custom at the close of that, we have a ushers with an offering plate. We take a second offering at the door, and this free will offering is used by our deacons and staff to meet financial needs primarily within our church family. And of course, I can't tell you all about that, but there have been times when we have paid the electric bill for a widow for extended years who just did not have the income, or disabled people, and other kinds of people in our church who need that kind of support. And you make that possible by that benevolence offering that's given at the Lord's Supper. Uh, then we just finished uh, Shoes for Orphan Souls. We weren't able to promote it a lot in, in August because we had a lot going on, but in spite of that, you gave 59 pairs of shoes, 217 pairs of socks, and so forth to Shoes for Orphan Souls. Then I want to share with you about some ministries led by connection groups, individual connection groups. One of about four groups give money together, I think it is, to sponsor backpack programs for the schools. Kids get a free lunch and free breakfast at school, but then they go home, and some of them go home hungry over the weekend, so they can send a backpack of food home with them over the weekend. And at two area schools, those backpack programs are um, funded by First Baptist Church through connection groups that have and so if your connection group wanted to help with that, I'm sure you could. And then a connection group in our church sponsors a church-wide effort of food boxes at Christmas and angel tree gifts for children at Christmas. And then coming up in October is a community effort called One Day of Hope, October 14th at the Coffee County Fairgrounds. Clothing is distributed, other services are provided, and you can help with that if you want to give your time. Uh, you can volunteer for that day, that One Day of Hope. To do that, you can just come to the rally, which is on the Thursday night before, October 12th, here in this room at 6 o'clock, and instructions will be given, and you could volunteer to help with that. And then next, some of you have asked about helping with Hurricane Harvey, and here's the ways that, that you could help. First of all, if you want to give money, which is the best way to help, uh, sometimes we like to give tangible things, but if you give money Supplies do not have to be transported from Tennessee to Texas and transportation costs are saved and supplies can be purchased in the local area where it's open in South Texas and stimulates the economy there. So you can write on your offering envelope, Harvey Relief, and that money will be given through Tennessee Baptist for that uh, disaster, Southern Baptist disaster relief. 
But if you want, I just want to do something, maybe you got a kids group and they need to see what they're doing or a connection group, there's a blue sheet like this on the Welcome Center and on one side of it, it has a flood recovery bucket that you pack in a Home Depot bucket. The Home Depot SKU number for every item to put in the bucket is on here and the name of the item and uh, it will cost $50 for the bucket and every item on here. You put it in there, bring it to the church, we'll get it on a truck uh, going to Texas. And then you could go to Texas over the months ahead. There'll be need for volunteers. And so you could help with Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. And on the other side of that same blue sheet is a schedule. In the providence of God, there was already a disaster relief training set up at First Baptist Winchester for our area, September 29th and uh, 30th, Friday night and Saturday. You'd have to have the introductory class on Friday night, and then you can pick from classes on Saturday, but one of them is flood recovery, hour and a half class that you learn how to, to, to clean out a house, help with that in, uh, in flood recovery. So you could go. God may be laying on your heart. I need to go to Houston. I need to go help those people. So I'll give up a weekend or a week sometime, or, and I'll go, but I've got to be trained in order to be a part of that. Finally, uh, I believe that in spite of the great needs in our country, the real pressing needs are in developing countries around our world where there is such poverty and hunger. And you think, what can I do about that? And uh, we had, a couple of years ago, a Compassion Sunday. And at that point, uh, 40 families in our church signed up to sponsor a kid. Cindy and I are sponsoring a little boy in Indonesia who's now 10 uh, years old. And $38 a month sponsors a child, provides vitamins, nutrition, life training, church-based spiritual instruction, and studies have shown that the best way to help world poverty is that long-term approach where you invest in the life of a child in education and nutrition and spirituality that changes the, the curve of their family in the future and lifts them out of poverty. You could be a part at Compassion.com of making a difference. You can't do everything, but you can do something. What's God calling you to do in response to Nehemiah 5? I want to close by sharing one more verse. Why would we do all that? Why don't we just spend our money on ourselves and live selfish lives? It's a whole lot easier. Why don't we do that? Here's why. 2 Corinthians 8 9. Paul was taking up an offering. He told him why he was taking up an offering for famine relief in Judea. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what grace is? Grace is somebody giving you something that you can't earn and you don't deserve. And you and I are the recipients of grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, Jesus owned everything. That's pretty rich, folks. He was in heaven. He had it all. He ruled over all. But for your sake, he became poor. He left heaven, became a human being who would die, who would hurt who would get tired, born as a baby, laid in a manger, grew up to be a man, killed and died a horrible death on a cross. For your sake, he who is rich became very, very poor. So that you who are poor can become rich. And if you put your faith in him, he'll lift you out of your spiritual poverty and you'll become a child of the king, heir to everything. That's why we do that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to hear your word today from the book of Nehemiah. 
and help us to hear what you want us to do with our lives. And in this area of helping those who are less fortunate, if you're bringing a specific burden to our lives in any of these areas, help us like Nehemiah to say, yes, Lord, I'll find my fulfillment serving you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to invite you to uh, join our church. If you want to be a part of what we're doing, team up with us. We'd love to have you on our team. And if you're a follower of Christ and you've been baptized in his name, you just walk forward today and we'll welcome you and receive you. And if you're not a follower of Christ and you haven't been baptized in his name, you can do that today. You can change the course of your life and say, I realize Jesus came to die, rise for me. I believe he's my Savior. I'll put my faith in him. I'll ask forgiveness of my sin. I'll follow him. You just walk forward and meet me here, and we would welcome you as a, a brother or sister into God's kingdom. God speaks to your heart. Would you come as we sing? Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. Who can make the blind to see? Who holds the keys that set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace. Jesus, only Jesus. Holy King Almighty, Lord, saints and angels, praise who has the name above all names you stand alone I stand amazed Jesus only Jesus holy king almighty Lord saints and Thank you. Would you be seated once again for a moment? We're going to give now our offerings as an act of worship to the one who was rich and became poor for us. If you're a guest with us, I invite you, if you filled out a guest card, just put that in the offering plate. Thank you. Please bow with me. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the ability to come together in your house and worship, worship you. Father, um, uh, as, as we are called to, to help those in poverty, Father, I just help or just ask that, that you 
help us to see the, the need, and not all the problems that's associated with it, but the need. Uh, open our hearts to that and um, help us to do your will there, Father. I just also ask that, um, that uh, you bless these tithes and offerings and that they go to the furthering of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea.
service today. I just want to remind everybody a little bit about Serve Coffee County. We are launching our first service project this week, this coming Saturday. So there is still time to register. We will keep registration for each project open until the day before uh, of the workday. So be sure to look at that. You can register at servecoffeecounty.com or you can go to the Welcome Center today and register there. You get a great t-shirt and it's got our logo on the back. It looks good. You mean like that one you got on right there? Yes. Wow. So anyway, uh, let's, let's close out our service. And pray. Man, they're coming from everywhere. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for the word that we have heard, God. Lord, I thank you that we are a part of a church that is just not a building you go to, but that we are a people who are sent out to be the church in our community. Father, as you uh, continue to use us and move us, God, may we be sensitive to your spirit as we step into, out into our community in need of, of help, but ultimately the greatest need, um, the gospel. People need to know you. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. One, two, three. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever. Forever.